what's going on everyone welcome to the program it is not your average boston sports podcast i am your host garrett hayden as always you can listen to the podcast on apple Podcasts and on spotify and you can follow our social pages on twitter and on facebook uh, great to be back with you folks a little bit of a strange some, some strange happenings last week had a uh guest that ultimately fell through so there wasn't a guest friday so i apologize on that we're in a little bit of a fluctuation with uh, guest friday i uh, will have a guest friday this week I'm not quite sure what the guest friday is going to be but uh, we will have one out for you guys this week so uh, looking forward to that um you know looking forward to getting into today's program obviously we got uh, plenty of uh, thoughts from the Celtics game yesterday. A uh, really, really frustrating loss uh, in Philly yesterday. So we'll get to, you know, all the Celtics stuff, get to some Red Sox. Uh, there's some Revolution too. Little Bruins, little Patriots. Um, and then, you know, playoff updates and notes from uh, around sports. So we're going to get into this. This is episode 247. Um, so we're starting with the Celtics. Uh, just a, I think just overall, I think just a, a feeling of frustration, you know, after the game yesterday, uh, Celtics having a chance, uh, really, you know, both two times um, to, you know, come out of Philadelphia with a win in game four, you know, and taking a stranglehold on the series. Um, you know, ultimately it didn't happen. You know, the shot didn't fall at the end of regulation. Celtics find you know, Smart for an open shot, he misses overtime, and then, you know, Smart makes the shot at the end of overtime, but it's about half a second too long. So, you know, ultimately Celtics lose the game by a point, 116-115, so series is tied now. Um, and I think that, you know, if you look at this game kind of as a whole, uh, which is what I'm going to do, and then we'll focus on the end of the game, I think that if you look at this game as a whole, the Celtics really had no business being in this game. You know, you looked at the way the Sixers came out in the first quarter, continued to shoot the ball really well in the second and third quarters, you know, 32 points in the second, 33 in the third. The Celtics, you know, played better offensively in the second and third quarters, obviously. But the Sixers just kept, you know, making big shots. Um, and that kind of was the theme. You know, Harden... To, to a lot of people's surprise, and it came out and was really, really good in this game. You know, I think played similar to the way that he had played in game one of this series, you know, without Embiid. And so I think people thought, okay, you look at how much he struggled in games two and three, is that going to continue? Now, look, this is a Sixers team that's very good. This is a Sixers team that is better than kind of your typical Sixer teams, you know, I know that people can say what they're going to say about Harden and his, you know, inability to, you know, win, win big games in the playoffs. You know, this definitely qualifies as a big game. You know, he was easily their best, their best player in this game at 42 points, you know, really just kind of controlled the whole game. And so, you know, Celtics go into the fourth quarter down by nine and it's like, okay. This is the six. This is the Sixers team that's played, has played its best, I think, start to finish, 
from the first quarter to the third quarter yesterday. It's the long, best stretch that they had played in this series. You know, I think that they had played all right in the first game, but I think if you look at from a, you know, big, like a big stretch in the series, they played really well um, and really looked like they were in control every time the Celtics, you know, kind of got close. The Sixers made a basket. You know, Harden was just, you know, what kind of you expect from him? Um, you know, Embiid was really good, 34 points, 13 rebounds. You know, I think the Celtics for, you know, most of this game, the Sixers were kind of just doing whatever they wanted. They were getting into the paint. You know, they were, it just seemed like the Celtics defense wasn't quite at the same level. It was a games two and three, and it's like, who who knows? It could have been that the Sixers knew that this was really their season in this game, that they had to, you know, come out and play really strong. And, you know, when a team's down 2-1 and you, you know, have a chance that you might go down 3-1, to one, especially at home, you know, that team's going to come out and be desperate. You know, this is not a team that's just going to lie down. Again, this is not the same Sixers team that, you know, fell to the Hawks in the playoffs two years ago when, you know, Ben Simmons refused to, you know, lay the ball up. This is not the team that is, as some people might say, you know, mentally weak or whatever. It's like, this is a team that's good. And I think we're kind of losing track of, oh, yes, the Celtics had a chance to win the game. But it's like, the Sixers are good. This is not, this is not the Hawks series. This is a team that's better. And I know that People want to say the Celtics have this clear path to the finals, which they might. But it's like, it doesn't mean that this is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that they're going to roll through every series and win in five games. They were never going to beat this Sixers team in five games. And it's like, if they did, they did win yesterday, they stole the game. You know, you look at how they played in the first three quarters. There really wasn't anything to you know, suggest that they were going to get back in the game, although they closed the third quarter well, played a great fourth quarter. You know, Tatum really seemed to find his game. The Celtics really picked it up defensively. You know, Al Horford was huge defensively in the fourth quarter at five blocks for the game. And the Celtics really kind of picked up the defensive intensity, picked up just the game intensity, you know, get back in the game, you know, take the lead. But Look, at the end of the day, James Harden made the plays. Harden and Embiid made the, big, made the bigger plays in the game, and the Celtics didn't. And I think that kind of is the story of this game. I know everyone wants to make it about the timeouts, and, you know, look, everyone has their own opinion on how you should use your timeouts. And I think that could Joe Missoula have used his timeouts yesterday? Sure, absolutely. And I think... I don't think that it's the wrong thing for people to want him to use his timeouts. But I do think that there is a reason why you wouldn't. And so I think, you know, end of regulation, I think that was their best chance. You know, game's tied. You know, Celtics have the ball, although, you know, I think they had some defensive lapses at the end of the fourth quarter. You know, in particular, the Celtics couldn't box out on an air ball, P.J. Tucker puts it in, gets fouled, three-point play, and that's what tied the game. 
you know, so that was unfortunate. But then Celtics get the ball, you know, have a chance to win the game. And I think that, yes, could the Celtics have called a timeout? Sure. But I think what they ended up doing at the end of regulation worked. The play, whatever they ran, worked really well because you got Marcus Smart, a wide-open look, to win the game. He just misses the shot. And so I think it's easy to sit here and be like, oh, well, they should have called a timeout. But it's like, my thing is, if the play, if they're going to run that play, what's the difference between running that in the run of play versus running it out of a timeout? That's kind of my thing. And it's like, yes, you could have called a timeout, but then you give the Sixers the ability to set up their defense. You know, and I think... Maybe it's an unorthodox way of coaching that you kind of, I don't want to say let your guys figure it out because that's not what happened. Because very clearly the Celtics ran a play. They got an open look, which is what they wanted. Marcus Smart just didn't knock it down. And I think, you know, it's easy to sit here and I think be kind of like, oh, you know, they should have done this, should have done this. Make no mistake, if Marcus Smart knocks that shot down, we're not talking about any of this. So, I think it was a good look at the end of regulation. You know, the overtime is kind of where things went a little haywire. You know, I think that really kind of the two biggest plays of the game, the Celtics just kind of let their, let them, let them get the best of themselves, or they kind of beat themselves. And I think, specifically, I think you look at, the awareness in the late game situations. And I think that kind of is what doomed them yesterday. And I think, yes, you could easily say that the coach could have called timeouts, but at the end of the day, you need your best players to be your best players. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum dropped the ball yesterday. You know, Jalen Brown with, you know, coming over to double and bead. Now, for us sitting here, watching that game it is so easy for us to look at that and be like oh you don't double there but it's like I think it's just like your base instinct kicks in where and I know that Jalen said after the game that he made the wrong call but it's like your base instinct kicks in there where you're up by two points and you don't want to let the let someone score which is what was going to happen if you know Jalen doesn't come over to help you know that it gives Embiid an easy basket and you tie the game. You know, I think that, yes, clearly he made the wrong decision. You don't go over and double a guy who looks like he's going to get a hoop when that ties the game. And I think that Jalen kind of made the worst, the worst case scenario happened. Embiid drives to the basket, draws Jalen, and then kicks it out. Harden hits the wide open shot. And I think, you know, that kind of was the beginning of the end. Jalen makes that bad decision and then on the ensuing play you know no timeout again Celtics run a you know action to get Marcus Smart an open look which he gets he knocks it down but it took too long you know Jason I think dribbling you know kind of dribbling the air out of the ball takes about a second too long you know hesitates and you know they get that I can't remember what exactly the play was, but Jason gets like a screen from White, kind of goes to the basket, kicks it out. You get an open look, and 
you know, if Marcus hits it, but, you know, too long. And I think, again, it's easy to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, they should have called a timeout or whatever. But I don't know. I think Joe's trusting the guys to make the right decision and have, you know, the correct awareness. And it just didn't happen. And I think... I don't want to sit here and really discuss that there might be a bigger issue for why there are breakdowns in close games like this. I just think, in my opinion, it's kind of a little bit of a, and I don't want to, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I almost feel like it's an easy kind of cop-out thing to blame the coach for not calling timeouts when it's like, you know, the Celtics could have called timeouts both of those times, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're making whatever those shots are going to be, you know, and I think people seem to think that there wasn't like a play drawn up at the end of the overtime, which is, you know, just, just wrong. You know, if you look at what happened, um, it's not like, you know, Jason's freestyling and trying to go one-on-one in isolation, they ran a play. It just took too long. And I think, yes, the Celtics did really kind of waste an opportunity to take control of the series um, with a couple of the mistakes by their key guys. Um, But make no mistake, this is not the end of the world. You know, as I said earlier, this is a type of game that if you win, It's a, you know, you stole this game. You had no business being in this game. The way that the Sixers played so well offensively for almost the entire game. Yes, you, you know, took kind of control, took a five-point lead. But it's like the Sixers are not going to lay down. You know, it's a desperate time for them. And I think, yes, as much as this loss sucks, this is not a desperate time for the Celtics. Yes, They could have gone up 3-1. Yes, they could be going into tomorrow night's game with a chance to finish the series. But it's like, again, this is a better Sixers team. This is not the Sixers team that the Celtics, you know, swept in the bubble. This is not the team the Celtics beat in five games a number of years ago. This is a better team. And I think, yes, the Celtics, I think, are the better team than the Sixers. But this doesn't mean that this is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that every series you should expect that they win in five games. The playoffs are hard. They're not supposed to be easy. You know, and yes, they kind of blew an opportunity here. But worst case scenario, it's 2-2 coming back home, which is like going into this two games in Philly, you thought that, okay, could the Celtics win both? Absolutely. But coming home with a split is really not that bad. And I think, look, if we want to get doomsday, let's do it after game five. Let's not do it when the series is tied, you know. And I think this is a Celtics team that this entire postseason, whether people want to, you know, ignore it or not, they haven't lost after a loss. They're 3-0 and after losses in the playoffs this season, and they did pretty well at this, if people recall from last postseason. 
that they responded to, you know, big losses. This is a team that blew game five against the Bucks last year in the second round, had to go on the road in an elimination game, beat the Bucks in game six, and then blew them out in game seven. This is a Celtics team that blew game five in the first round and then came back on the road and finished the series. By no means is this doomsday scenario for this team. You know, yes, it would have been great to win that game. Yes, it would have been perhaps a better call to maybe call timeouts in those situations. But at the end of the day, it's a make-or-miss league. And that's what happened. James Harden hit an open shot. Marcus Smart missed an open shot at the end of regulation. You know, and that's just kind of how it goes. But I think if we're going to really kind of beat into existence that this team, you know, can't win games, you know, in late game situations, it's like, well, maybe it's true. But I also think that this is a team that has the ability to bounce back and has the ability to take these, you know, whatever people want to call catastrophic losses or whatever but turn them into motivation and turn them into like, okay, our backs are against the wall. We have to come out and win this next game. You know, I think that that's going to show in game five, honestly. I think it is. The Celtics do need to get back to better ball pressure um, in game five. They need to do a better job of that than they did yesterday. You know, Harden and Embiid are guys that are probably going to get theirs and get to get their points. You know, the Celtics can try to do what best they can against Embiid and Harden defensively. You know, I think that one of the good things out of Game 3 was that the Celtics could use, you know, multiple bodies on Joel Embiid. But I think with Philly playing as well as they did offensively yesterday, the Celtics really, you know, couldn't afford to play too many bench guys just because they were chasing the score. Um, but I think if this team can, you know, play a little bit better offensively in the first half, they can get, you know, Grant Williams, Rob Williams, and Al Horford and different guys on Embiid. So it's not like they have to be chasing the score, which I think is why Grant and Robert Williams did not play a lot of minutes yesterday. You know, Rob played 14 minutes. Grant Williams played 12. You know, this was a team that, because they were behind, they had to play a lot of guys big minutes. So I'm going to be curious to see, you know, if those minutes change at all. You know, I think that with the Celtics kind of having issues shooting the ball for most of yesterday, you know, there was some thought that Peyton Pritchard maybe could have gotten some minutes. Now I think that that's a good idea that the Celtics could look to in Game 5 if they're continuing to you know, having trouble scoring the ball and need a little bit of spark. Um, but the Celtics, I think, found the spark in the fourth quarter yesterday with how well they played defensively. And I think that, yeah, it's easy to get upset about that loss yesterday, but I kind of agree with Al Horford when he said that he can be encouraged with the way that they played defensively and the way that they were able to get back into that game. And so I think... Really, all the Celtics have to do, in my opinion, 
bring back that level of intensity that you had in games two and three, what you did defensively, and I think that they should be fine. You know, I think offense is going to be what it's going to be. Jason Tatum needs to start better than he did in some of the last couple games. Um, Because I think they can't get into this. They can't get into a pattern of getting down and then having to, you know, do everything in the fourth quarter. Jason did have an excellent second half, but I think if he can start the game on time and start making some shots, getting some easy looks to go, you know, layups and attacking the paint, you know, this is a guy that could score 40 points, and I think the Celtics are going to need a, you know, signature Jalen and Jason game where they both go for 30. They're going to need one of these games in Game 5, I think, um, because I think the Sixers have some confidence in Game 4, and I think that that probably is the worst part of this loss, is losing Game 4 and now gives the Sixers' momentum going on the road, much like the Celtics' win in Game 2 gave them momentum into Game 3, and they won Game 3. So I think the Celtics have to be smart and have to realize that this is a Sixers team that, you know, got a really big desperate win, but they're going to be hungry to take the series lead. And they really, the Celtics cannot afford to lose Game 5, because I think if they lose Game 5, there could be a good chance that they lose the series, but this is a team that I think can, you know, move on quickly from losses like this. You know, you think of the last two games that they've lost in the playoffs, not including uh, yesterday's game. If you think about game five against the Hawks and game one against the Sixers, Celtics bounce back from both of those games with really good performances, especially late in Game 6 of that Hawks series. So I like the Celtics' chances in Game 5 because they think they're going to realize that, yes, they had an opportunity to win Game 4, but, you know, let's take control of this Game 5 and then go on the road and try to close it out better than we did on Sunday. So I think I'm going to move on from the Celtics. Uh, One last little note, Celtics missed six free throws, which kind of came back to bite them in this game. Uh, The Celtics, I think, need to get back to attacking the basket. I think look for Jason to have double-digit free throw attempts um, in Game 5, because I think if the Celtics do that, they can get some of those guys into foul trouble on the other side. Um, So I think... Yeah, we'll move on and talk a little bit about the Red Sox. You know, since we last spoke, the Red Sox, you know, ripped off eight straight wins. Um, had their win streak snapped yesterday in a 6-1 to one loss to the Phillies. But, you know, this is a team that I think really started to catch their rhythm, especially offensively. But I think continuing to win series... You know, he's huge. Taking two or three from Cleveland, winning, you know, all four against Toronto, winning two in Philly this week, I think really is kind of giving this team um, confidence that, yeah, the beginning part of the season was really kind of bumpy. And, you know, yeah, it is still kind of the beginning part of the series, beginning part of the season, but 
I think that, you know, and we talked for weeks that I think you look at the rest of Major League Baseball, no one is really, you know, no one is really creating distance for, for themselves in the standings. I mean, except for maybe Tampa Bay. But I think if this, you know, we said if the Red Sox can get off, can get on um, a hot start, you know, they can get right into the thick of things, which they have. You know, winning eight straight games got them to 21 and 14. You know, 21 and 15 now, it's one of the best records in baseball. So I think just giving this team confidence is huge. You know, I think anytime you have a team whose, you know, expectations are not exactly high, you know, I think the expectations for this group is around 500, whether that's a couple games, give or take. Um, but I think anytime you can rip off, you know, eight straight wins, get on a hot streak, it can give you confidence to be like, okay, we can replicate this. And I think, you know, the offense is coming through. The offense never really been a concern for me. And I think a lot of people, because I think you look at all the guys that they have offensively, um, that they were kind of going to be fine. But I think it's the pitching that has improved over the last couple of weeks. You know, Chris Sale has still kind of had some uneven parts of games, but it really seems like he's starting to pick up steam. You know, Corey Kluber has pitched a little bit better recently. You know, the Red Sox are getting a little bit more consistency in their starts, you know, quality starts and things like that. And then, you know, you look at the back end of their bullpen with Jansen, you know, we'll get to him in a little bit, but I think every part of the Red Sox game is working at a really high level. Um, and I think, you know, the starting pitching has been solid. You know, yeah, it's not been great, but I think it's been better than what we saw to start the year, which I think anytime you can get slightly improved pitching, you're going to take that. You know, can the Red Sox get to another level? That kind of remains to be seen. Can they get to a level where guys are consistently pitching into the fifth and sixth innings the way they have been? Or is this just kind of a, you know, ebb and flow type of thing where you go through good stretches, you go through bad stretches. You know, this is not a team that's exactly expected to be at the top of the American League standings. But I think giving giving you confidence that you can, you know, win four in a row against a division opponent that, you know, owned you last year. The Red Sox beat Toronto, what, three times last year? They won four straight at Fenway. And so it's like you give yourself some confidence there that, yes, we performed badly against the AL East last year. But I think, you know, starting the year winning two out of three against Baltimore you know, help the team. And then I think winning four in a row against Toronto is great. Now do they still have work to do against, you know, Tampa Bay, who they lost four games in a row to in April? Absolutely. But I think, you know, this might actually be interesting. The Red Sox have a run of a lot of non-division opponents. You know, they don't play a division opponent again until June 2nd. Red Sox are playing some National League teams. They'll have a road trip. Um, so, you know, I think this is a big opportunity for the Red Sox to continue their hot stretch against opponents that might not be as good. Can you continue to win, string some wins together? 
so that when you play, you know, a Tampa Bay at that point in June, do you have more confidence? Are you confident in your, you know, hopefully your pitching stays consistent? You know, hopefully the bats stay consistent. Um, you know, I think to Tanner Houck's credit, I thought he pitched all right uh, yesterday in Philly. You know, it just was too bad that, you know, perhaps they pulled him from the game a little too quickly. You know, he gets taken out five and two-thirds with a runner on base. And, you know, Schorber homers off flyer. And I think it's like, yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, looking back on it, you know, maybe you could have kept him in to face Schwarber again, but, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, so, you know, hard to know there. But I think this team having some excitement, you know, is is just good for the fan base, and I think good for this team, good for their morale, that, you know, they can start to see results. Because I think it's one thing to, you know, say things about, oh, the team's morale is going to be better this year. We're going to be, you know, a better group in the clubhouse. We're going to like playing for each other. It's one thing to say that. It's another thing to go out and win games and string games together. And I think that you've seen that, you know, with eight in a row. And I think you're starting to see some good signs from the lineup. You're starting to see a little bit more consistency from, you know, Yoshida, for example. He's been unbelievable recently as a 16-game hitting streak, and I think, you know, his adjustment to big league pitching has happened a little bit quicker than I would have thought. You know, you look at through 29 games, he's hitting 321, six homers, 24 RBIs, you know, I think really showing you what he can do, and I think being a guy that consistently get on base and get hits, you know, really helps out the rest of your lineup, you know, makes things a little bit easier for guys like Devers, um, and Verdugo and some of your guys that are your, you know, primary run producers, um, you know, Kike Hernandez, I think you've seen some improvements from there. Um, you know, Verdugo has really been a revelation for them this season. And I think that he's a big part of the reason why this team has been fun to watch recently. You know, obviously he's had a couple of walk-off hits, um, but I just think the way that he's approached the game this year um, has just been great to see that, you know, he wants to be a big part of this team. And I think there were some questions about him. I had some questions about him. You know, I didn't know really if he was going to be someone that could be a consistent run producer. And he has been. You know, he's been one of their most consistent hitters. Um, you know, Devers, I think the numbers are always going to be high. A little concerned that his average is not as high as maybe it should be, but, you know, driving in runs, hitting home runs. Um, you know, very curious to see how this team fares with, you know, some injuries affecting the lineup. But I think, you know, ever since Duvall has gone down, the Red Sox have used, you know, Duran a lot in the outfield, and he's been excellent. You know, I think more specifically at the plate, he's been great, you know, hitting 366 in 20 games. But I think having the ability to bring in guys that can play to, you know, fill in for, you know, Duvall, who had a great start, or whether it's, you know, Emmanuel Valdez filling in for 
Arroyo, who just went on the injured list. You know, I think Valdez has been really impressive. I've been impressed from what I've seen for the first couple weeks of his season. He's played in 11 games. You know, the Red Sox depth is really going to be tested in the middle infield, you know, with Arroyo being hurt. Now, you know, Bobby Dahlbeck is back, uh, up, back up with the team. So it'll be curious to see, you know, where he goes in. You know, I think that you might want to see a little bit more consistency from someone like Casas, someone like Turner. Um, but I think really everyone is doing their part. You know, Connor Wong and Reese McGuire have been great behind the plate. You know, defensively, Wong threw out a couple base runners yesterday. And I think hitting-wise, they might be the best, you know, combo in the league. You know, if you look at Wong with his two-home run game a couple, I think it was last week, had two home runs, almost had a third. You know, McGuire, who's really just has been excellent ever since he came over from the White Sox last year. So he's been really impressive. Um, but I think you're just seeing this team come together, which I think is the most important thing. Now, I think we're hoping for a little bit more consistency from the pitching staff because the ERA is still very high. But, you know, I think you're starting to see some small incremental improvements, which I think at this point is all you can ask for. So, you know, you hope that that continues. Um as I mentioned earlier, the, the bullpen's been fairly solid. You know, Kenley Jansen's been pretty much as advertised. Has uh, been pretty dominant, a .84 ERA um, in 10 and two-thirds innings this year with only one earned run allowed, 16 strikeouts. So he's been awesome. You know, I think it just really gives you comfort that the Red Sox can turn to an established closer in the ninth inning. So... There's not this kind of craziness that there was last year where you kind of don't know who's going to close games out. But I think he's doing exactly what they signed him for and, you know, 399 career saves. He's only one away from 400. So, you know, he's been excellent. There have been some other guys in the bullpen that maybe have had some issues here and there. But, you know, Jansen's really been the guy that's held it all together. So really been impressed from him. Um so the Red Sox will travel to Atlanta next, play a two-game set against the Braves starting tomorrow night. Nick Pavetta will go tomorrow. Brian Bayo will go on Wednesday. And then the Red Sox will have another off day following that two-game set, and then they'll return to Fenway to play three against the St. Louis Cardinals with Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, and Tanner Houck scheduled to pitch. Um, one of the interesting parts, I think I read in the paper, that uh, James Paxton is expected to join the team some point this week and possibly make a start this weekend um, as he returns from the Tommy John surgery. Did not get to pitch last year for the Red Sox, but it does seem like he is getting there in terms of his rehab outing. So it'd be interesting to see if he joins the rotation at some point. What does that do for the roster? You know, I think that you look at the five-man rotation that they have now with Pavetta, Bayo, Sale, Kluber, and Hauk. How does Paxton factor into that? You know, how does Whitlock factor into that when he returns? You know, it's going to be very interesting to see. But I think, you know, curious to see how they do on the road against the Braves. You know, Cardinals have not had a good start to this season. So, you know, hopefully the Red Sox can get off to 
a good start in that series, but the two games in Atlanta will certainly be interesting. 7.20, the start times for both games on Tuesday and Wednesday. So I think that's probably going to do it for the Sox. Going to get into another uh, local team that is atop of the Eastern Conference. Uh, the New England Revolution continuing their strong start to this season, uh, tied with the FC, tied with FC Cincinnati for the top spot in the Eastern Conference. They do have the number one seed based on the goal differential. So another big win for the Revs this weekend, two nothing over Toronto Revs. Just continuing to, you know, find timely goal scoring, which is great. And I think seeing a team that can finish on their opportunities. You saw both goals um, by Bobby Wood and Dewan Jones. Great finishing ability. You know, Bobby Wood making the steal in kind of the midfield. Making the steal in midfield, making, you know, outrunning a couple guys, putting it by the keeper. You know, I think that for the revolution, I think for their confidence, It's always good to be able to finish, and I think that's kind of what set them apart this year. That I think a lot of guys are getting involved, scoring goals, but a lot of guys are finishing their opportunities, which it seemed like a lot last year. The Revs did not do a good job of finishing, but Bobby Wood scores, you know, Dewan Jones scores to put it away, and the Revs are 5-0-3 in their last eight games, and they have not lost this season. Uh, when they score first, so this has really been a good, you know, start in front kind of team. Um, but I think it's just great to see that this team is coming together offensively with different guys, you know, being able to pepper in some goals. You know, I think that it's a tough sport to expect that guys are going to be scoring every game. You know, it's not quite... It's not like, you know, Manchester City or any of the big clubs in England where, you know, guys are scoring goals every single game. Um, but I think you look at Bobby Wood in particular, you know, I think people weren't really sure what he was going to bring to this team as, you know, he's kind of bounced around in the last couple of seasons, but does have three goals. You know, Rioni has three goals. He's had a good start to the season. You know, it just seems like the Revs are kind of trying to do it all together. Um, there has been some injury news, which is tough. Dylan Barrero, um, I believe, is going to be out for the season. The torn his ACL recently, so that's a big loss. He had had a good start to the season. So, you know, really, I think up to Wood and Frioni to continue the goal scoring. You know, Carlos Heel is going to be Carlos Heel. He's going to be what he's going to be, and he's going to be an elite setup guy. But I think, you know, Wood and Frioni are going to have to step up you know, and kind of be able to be those consistent goal scorers. You know, Gustavo Bo, you hope that he can be in the lineup a little more frequently, but I think he's kind of just going to be what he's going to be, you know, kind of on the older side. He's going to miss some games. Um, but I think it's been great to see the Reds' youth being able to get into some games and making an impact. You know, Noel Buck in particular has played all 11 games this season, so... It's been great to see his development 
you know, Boateng has looked really good over the last couple games. You know, he's another guy that adds to their attack as well. So really pleased with what we've seen from this team. I'm very curious to see, you know, how the Barrero injury affects them um, because undoubtedly that's another talented offensive player that you're losing. So, you know, it kind of does open an opportunity for someone else on this team. Does it open up an opportunity for someone like Justin Rennix or Josie Altador? You know, Josie's not really a guy that's going to play or start a lot of games, but I think, you know, Rennix could be a guy that gets an opportunity. You know, obviously we talked about the injury to Kessler, but the Revolution's defense has been pretty solid. You know, Farrell and Dave Romney have been really good. Romney's been excellent. He's played in all 11 games, really has been exactly as advertised. Um, and then, of course, Petrovic has been outstanding back there, really no issues with him. Um, it is going to be curious to see, though, if he does last the rest of the season in New England. I think there's been some talk about him getting interest from other teams across the country, across the globe. So, you know, it could end up being similar to a Matt Turner situation. I think for the Revs, for the Revs' sake, they hope that, you know, he sticks around. But, you know, that's kind of what happens in soccer. When you play really well, you know, you get noticed. You know, and I think the MLS, the competition has, I think, improved over the last couple of years. But I think, you know, still there's room to grow for the league. But I think excellent that, you know, Georgia has continued to play well and kind of been a big part of this team's success early on. Uh, so the Revolution have a U.S. Open Cup game tomorrow night at Gillette against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. It is a 7.30 start, so that's a round of 32 game for the U.S. Open Cup. Kind of works similar uh, to the FA Cup, if you know what that is from um, English soccer, where it's like teams from every league in England or in, in the UK play against each other in this big tournament big tournament so it's pretty much a similar thing you know the Revs MLS a couple of other leagues have teams in this tournament um, so the Revs will play a round of 32 match on Tuesday and then MLS competition returns for the Revs as they travel to Inter Miami and play them on next Saturday 730 730 start so yeah as we mentioned we're at 731 at the moment 11 games in atop of the Eastern Conference so I think we're gonna move on we're gonna get to a little bit of some Bruins stuff you know it's still pretty pretty fresh the uh, wounds of losing in the first round of the playoffs so you know I think there's going to be a lot of tough discussions that I think are going to happen this offseason um, in terms of the movement of certain guys. And I think, you know, I think that this is a team that has the potential to have like a lot of movement in the offseason. Um, I think just particularly with guys that they acquired at the trade deadline, you know, how do they make space to bring you know, more talent in, you know, what's the decision with Great Gene Bergeron, you know, what do the Bruins do to try to clean up, clear up cap space, 
you know, is Taylor Hall someone that could be traded as Matt Grizzlick, someone that could be moved? Do the Bruins take calls on Linus Olmark and Brad Marchand? You know, I really think that this is a team that nothing should be off the table. Um, you know, now I'm not saying that, oh, they need to go and trade Marchand, get a couple of picks, but I think that they would be smart to at least take calls on someone like Brad Marchand, you know, I think especially if Bergeron and Krejci decide to retire. Um, you know, what do they decide on Allmark? You know, I think my concern about that is just you had such a great tandem this year. Now, I know everyone's going to say, well, if you had such a great tandem, why didn't you play both guys in the playoffs? Now, that's a fair point, but how good Olmark and Swainman were this season was really kind of the main reason why they were so good in the early part of the season, why they were able to win so many games. And I just think, yes, you could save some money if you trade Olmark. But on the other hand, what else do you really have in the organization? Is Brandon Bussey really ready to be a full-time NHL goaltender? You know, you'd be asking him to do a lot, and I think... You know, yes, you could identify that Swayman's your next guy, but Swayman's not playing 55, 60 games next year. Goalies don't do that anymore. And so it's like, if the split is more 50-50, you're asking Bussy to play upwards of 30 games, a guy that's never played in the NHL. Now, he was very good in AHL this year, but you don't really know what he is. And so I think to make that type of decision to trade Olmark, I think might be a little bit hasty. And I feel like if the Bruins want to trim some salary, they probably should look in other places. Now, that's just my opinion. I also think that what are the optics of trading a guy who's likely to win the Vesna Trophy, a guy that people really like? You know, I understand that it's a business, and I understand that the Bruins are going to have to make some tough decisions this summer. But I don't know. I feel like I prefer them to look elsewhere. Now, if the Bruins get a great offer for Olmark, say, you know, a first-round pick and a good young player, maybe they pull the trigger. You know, I think this is a team that could potentially be in the market for a big hockey trade. Now, does that mean that they look at someone like Elias Lindholm from Calgary? Do they look at someone like JT Miller? From Vancouver, you know, do they try to do something like that? Do they try to move Taylor Hall? Do they try to move Charlie Coyle? You know, I think there's just a lot of questions in terms of players that I think the Bruins are going to have to figure out. And then, you know, you have your own internal free agents. You know, Trent Frederick's going to need to be signed. Swayman's going to need to be signed. You know, Connor Clifton's a guy that could he come back? You know, possibly. I think. There just are a lot of questions. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of it probably is going to have to do with Bergeron's decision in particular. I do happen to think that David Krejci is probably not coming back, but that's just my opinion. Um, you know, I think it's far more likely that Patrice comes back. Um, but I do think that there's kind of this, with Krejci, it's kind of this element of like this kind of was just a one-year thing. You know, but who knows? He could decide to come back. Bergeron could decide to come back. But I think if both of them choose to retire, that might answer your question in terms of who does this team try to move 
do they start to be like, okay, you know, we have to start, you know, I'm going to say the term rebuild because that I think implies a lot of things. Um, does this team still be, or is this team still a solid team with, um, you know, is this still a solid team without Bergeron and Krejci? Probably, you know, we saw a little bit of a look into that with games three and four in Florida a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, it just is going to be interesting to see what the direction is, um, particularly with the decision of both of those guys, because I think it's going to affect how they approach uh, the offseason. Just some other thoughts. You know, Providence Bruins had their season end last week. Uh, Fabian Lysel wrapped up his first professional season. You know, I think there were, you know, some, some ups and downs, I think. Um, but it's going to be curious to see you know, what he looks like next season. How does he look when training camp rolls around? You know, played in 54 games this season, had 37 points, had one point in uh, their three playoff games. Um, and then Georgi Merkulov uh, also had a really good season. I think he surprised a lot of people with his uh, really dominant season in Providence at 55 points in 67 games. I mean, I think there is reason to believe that he could make the roster next year. I really don't think it's all that crazy. Um, you know, I think that if there is a move that involves Taylor Hall, does that tell you that Merkelov's ready to, you know, make that jump to the NHL? I don't know if Lysel is there yet necessarily, but you'll certainly see him, you know, at training camp, you know, in some of those you know, rookie games most likely in some of those preseason games. So it'll be interesting to see. So hopefully those two guys, you know, use the offseason in a positive way. The Bruins also signing uh, Matthew Patra to a three-year entry-level deal the other day. So he is uh, signed. He was the second-round pick, or a second-round pick of the Bruins in 2022. Played this year in juniors. For the Gulf Storm of the OHL had 95 points in 63 games. Now, yes, those numbers are crazy, but it is, you know, juniors and, you know, guys have, you know, crazy numbers like that. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if he chooses to come over um, and play in Providence next year, or does he stay playing for his junior team? Um, so that'll be interesting to see what he can do you know might be over here for training camps or development camp or something like that so he'll definitely be someone to uh, watch in terms of his progress i don't think that he's making the bruins next year um, but you know who knows crazier things have happened but yeah i don't think the bruins expect him to be part of the big club next year but you know it'll be interesting to follow of his progress next year. So just some quick Patriot thoughts. Um, Mike Vrabel was the latest um, inductee into the Patriots uh, Hall of Fame, which was neat to see last week. You know, Mike is one of those guys that I think was the, just a, just a typical Patriot, a guy that, you know, always did what was asked of him and, you know, was always you know, put in positions to succeed. And I think, you know, always doing, always willing to do whatever to help the team. 
even if that meant playing tight end and catching some passes, you know. So big congratulations due to, to Mike Vrabel and, you know, what he's meant to this organization and this team. You know, obviously a big part of this team's, you know, multiple Super Bowls in the early 2000s. Um, so that was great to see. Uh, some of the other guys, or some of the some of the new offensive players, I should say, uh, have been, you know, saying some positive things in the media that they're excited to get to work with the Patriots, Juju Smith-Schuster and Mike Kosicki in particular, you know, speaking to the media last week. So I think that they're excited, and I think that people should be excited about the two of them and, you know, what the new offense or new offense, I mean, I don't know if that's the correct term, but, you know, bringing in a new coordinator, well, again, <laughs> an old but new coordinator, you know, bringing in someone that's familiar with the franchise, and, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Bill O'Brien can do. You know, I think that coming over from the college game could be really interesting, that does he, you know, implement some things at Alabama, I just think that this is a team that's, I think, operating under the radar, which I really like. Um, but I think that, yes, looking at some of their opponents next year, it's not exactly the easiest schedule. But, you know, I think this is a team that if they can kind of, you know, hit the ground running with spring workouts and into training camp, this is a team that could really be ready to go, you know, when the season starts at offensively you kind of get into a bit of a rhythm. So I do think the schedule does get released at some point this week. I'd be very curious to see what the beginning part of the season is going to be, kind of those first four or five games. Um, so hopefully, you know, it's not on the hard side and the Patriots can get off to a good start. But, you know, I think it's early. It's still very early to kind of speculate what certain teams are going to be at this point. Um, but I think that there's a lot of excitement, a lot of kind of clean slate uh, for this team. So I think it should be um, an exciting, you know, next few months. And then when we get closer to training camp, you know, that's really when the fun begins. So very much looking forward to that for this Patriots team. So I think that's going to do it for well, the New England teams. We're going to get to uh, some NBA playoff talk. The Suns evening their series with the Nuggets last night, 129 to 124. Kind of chuckling because there was an incident in, I believe it was in the first half, Nikola Jokic making contact with the Suns owner. You know, Suns owner kind of flopped a little bit. I mean, I don't know. The whole video is, is kind of a, it's kind of just a wild sight. You know, with Jokic, I think, trying to get to a ball and the, you know, son's owner is like in his way and he kind of bumps him. Uh, so, you know, I think some people are interested to see if there's any type of, you know, supplemental punishment from the league. It doesn't really appear like that's going to happen, but just was kind of an interesting incident that happened. Um, so the Suns even the series 129-124 the final last night. So that series is now two games apiece. The Lakers and the Warriors resume their series tonight with Game 4. 
at 10 o'clock in Los Angeles. Lakers won game three, dominating the Warriors. You know, this is really kind of a make-or-break game for Golden State. Kind of curious to see how they do tonight. The Heat can take a 3-1 series lead against the Knicks tonight in Miami. Game four of that series at 7.30. And then Warriors and Lakers at 10. So I know that the Heat team, being in the eighth seed, is... You know, just it's wild to see them playing so well, but honestly, it's not that much of a surprise with this team with Jimmy Butler and the way that they're so well coached. So, you know, this is really, again, I think a make or break game for the Knicks as well. Um, I do think the Heat win tonight. Um, I think Golden State evens this series against the Lakers. Um, and then, as far as Nuggets, Suns, really anyone's guess, the home team has won all four games. So I'd be curious to see when that series resumes, you know, who gets the upper hand in game five. So I think we're going to move over to the Stanley Cup playoffs, three games uh, that happened last night, <clears throat> or yesterday, I should say. Uh, the Devils get back into the series against Carolina. Eight to four, the final score yesterday. Uh, Jack Hughes had four points. <laughs> it was a Devils team that really needed a, a win in this series after losing both games in Raleigh. So, be interesting to see when that series resumes Tuesday if the Devils can even the series. Florida just continues to win, taking a 3 nothing lead in their series against Toronto with a 3-2 win in overtime yesterday. It does kind of look like the Leafs are on their way out with uh, Ilya Samsonov injured in Game 3. Joseph Wall came in, did an admirable job at Florida, gets the win, and they can sweep the series on Wednesday night, I believe. And then the other game last night, the Seattle Kraken, their first game at home in the second round, destroy the Stars 7-2, to so they now take a series lead 2-1. to So... Uh, just kind of a surprising result there in Seattle, but they've been an excellent, excellent crowd. Um, so they have the upper hand in their series against Dallas. And also Gerard Gallant let go as head coach of the Rangers. That was an announcement over the weekend. Kind of surprised there because he had only been in New York for two seasons. But, you know, I don't know if that's kind of how things go in New York with the Rangers. They kind of have a quick hook in terms of coaches. So... Curious to see, you know, where Gerard Gallant ends up. Happen to think he's a decent coach, but also be interesting to see what the Rangers do um, to fill that vacancy. So the only game on the tap tonight, game three of the Golden Knights and Oilers in Edmonton, 8.30 start on ESPN there. So opportunity for either of those teams to take um, a series lead, Edmonton winning game two fairly easily, so it'll be interesting to see how Vegas, Vegas comes back in game three. So we're going to get to some NFL notes quickly. Uh, Nick Foles released by the Colts, possibility that he retires. Uh, Dexter Lawrence getting in a big extension from the Giants four years for $90 million, the defensive lineman. Getting that done. Um, and then it seems like Lamar Jackson, with the new 
um, additions to his team with Odell Beckham and Zay Flowers. Uh, he's made a statement that he wants to be the new first quarterback to throw for 6,000 yards. So it uh, be exciting to watch that Ravens team um, in the offseason, into the season. You know, I think that it's, you know, kind of happy that Lamar stayed where he was. You know, it just seemed like it was going to get ugly if he left. So that was definitely certainly going to be a team to watch um, approaching training camp in a couple months. So I think we're going to get over to some Major League Baseball. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt with three home runs. For the Cardinals yesterday, they snapped an eight-game losing streak. Red Sox will play the Cardinals this weekend at Fenway. Take a look at the standings. This is the uh, American League East. Tampa Bay still setting the pace at 28-7. and seven. Quite a start for them this season. Um, and the Orioles in second at 22-12. and 12. Red Sox currently in fourth place. At 21 and 15, just a half game behind Toronto for third, and then two games behind Baltimore for second. In the American League Central, Minnesota leads the division at 19 and 16, two and a half games over Cleveland. Texas leads the West, a two game lead over the Angels. Rangers are 20 and 13. The Atlanta Braves setting the pace in the National League at 24 and 11. Red Sox will play a two-game set against them this week. Braves are 24-11, and 11, a seven-game lead over the Mets and the Marlins. Pittsburgh leads the Central by half a game. They are at 20-15, and 15, and then the Dodgers lead the West at 21-14, and 14, game and a half ahead of Arizona. So I think that's going to do it for me this week, a little, a little shorter than usual, but only so many teams in action, uh, but we'll, we'll make it a point to announce later this week what, our, what my plans are uh, for Guest Friday, so we'll let you guys know. Looking forward to that when we talk on Friday, whatever the interview uh, or conversation may be, so stay tuned for that, um, and until then, yeah, we'll talk to you next time, you know, listen to the program apple Podcasts, spotify you know follow the social pages uh, for for those updates so looking forward to i uh, guess friday later this week so we will talk to you then